Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. From KCRW and KCRW.com, I'm Michael Silverblatt, and welcome to Bookworm. Today, I have the pleasure of having as a guest Antoine Wilson, whose new book, Mouth to Mouth, follows two books. He was a guest on the show between eight and nine years ago with his terrific novel, Panorama City. At that time, I had not yet read his first novel called The Interloper. Now I've read all three, and I can tell you that if you are looking for a short and thrilling book, Mouth to Mouth is the book for you. It's published by Avid Reader Press, now, I don't know Avid Reader Press. Antoine, would you begin by telling me I love the idea of a press named Avid Reader? Hi, Michael. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to be here. Avid Reader is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. So it is a fairly small team. I don't remember how many books they put out a year, but um, it's, it's an excellent imprint. And I followed... My editor, Lauren Ween, from uh, HMH at the time, which is where uh, Panorama City uh, was published, to Avid Reader. I'll follow her uh, anywhere. You took, it would seem, if I'm just using the calendar, a very long time to write this extremely short novel. How did that happen? I'd say short, uh, shortly the year after Panorama City came out, um, we had a second child. So uh, my son was starting kindergarten at the time and my daughter was born. So that, I would say, put me into a, a sleep-deprived state for a few years, um, during which I decided to chase down a big conceptual thing that I never was quite able to find a point of view uh, to, to make it work, to turn it, almost to turn it into a story. So I, I think sometimes that's, I've seen it happen with other writers. I, I never thought it would happen with me, but I, I, I got dragged into a big conceptual thing that I should have abandoned about two years before I actually finally did abandon it. Then I, w I was working on um, what would become Mouth to Mouth and another uh, short novel. And I was in a sort of state of serial abandonment of one or the other. And so mm -hmm. I, I finished a draft of that one, and it may be the sort of parasitic twin that allowed mouth-to-mouth uh, -to, -mouth to, to come to life. I was fascinated by mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. And like all your books, it does have a very peculiar narrative style. I found it thrilling. We're being told a story by a narrator... And the story was told to the narrator by a man who, as it happens, he'd gone to UCLA with years before. Yeah. Our narrator remembers that man's big mane of hair, mm -hmm. remembers his sloppy dressing, 
Now the man who's met in the lounge of the airport as a result of a canceled flight. The man begins a story that takes the entirety of mouth to mouth to get told. Yes. Somewhere between the man who tells the story, whose name is Jeff Cook, and our narrator, who remains nameless, there's a passage of intimacies that is very vibrant and very strange and doesn't allow you to put down this book. People are talking about having read it overnight, and this is such a common response. How did you make a book that was such a constant read? To a certain extent, I I, I have only so much power over how, how the book will be read and, and so much of a sense of it. I, I do think about the reader. I do think about telling a story um, that will engage the reader. Uh, I think one of the things that came out in the way that this book was constructed was that by alternating between those scenes in the airport lounge where Jeff is talking in direct dialogue to the narrator and then sort of cutting away to what is essentially like a closed third person depiction of Jeff's story, I was able to play with time in a way that sort of like the, the lounge sections happen almost in real time. And then the, the other sections happen in a sort of more of a narrative time. And to me, the interspersing of the lounge sections allows those, those other narrative sections to, to make these leaps forward. So um, I don't know. I love a good static scene. The book begins, you know, with the words, I sat. Um, so there's something about that that I find very attractive. And then, and the meanwhile, um, Jeff's story just has a certain propulsion to it. It has its own uh, itinerary, maybe. A writer who's highly critical of other people's plots and inability to structure them, T.C. Boyle said about the first novel, The Interloper, as assured and sumptuously written as any first novel I've encountered. Antoine Wilson's prose sings, and the story he tells here is both clever and compelling. This is writing as at its very best. Since that time, all sorts of people I admire, like Marissa Silver, and uh, Sarah Shunlin Bynum, they um, they love you. I mean, you have some of the best blurbs by writers who make it clear that they're not just blurbing, they've read the book. But by the time I was finished with the blurbs on my guest Antoine Wilson's Mouth to Mouth, I was ready to read and not move, and did, I've read the book now three times. I love putting it together, and I can tell that you did too. Mm -hmm. How much did the book change from draft to draft, or at least from the original draft till now? Well, that if you want to talk about why did it take so long to come up with another book, that's another part of the of the process. the The abandoning process um, did involve a lot of drafts and there there are parts of this fairly short novel that 
you know, a line or two that ended up in it represent, you know, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 words somewhere on my hard drive. At the core of it, I had Jeff's story or the, the, the beginnings of Jeff's story, this relationship between someone who um, rescues somebody and the, and the person they rescue. And the origin, the ur seed of that came from over 20 years ago. Um, I was in Seattle with friends and I, and I was by the waterfront and I stopped somebody from walking in front of a train. Um, he was air drumming and not looking, and I got his attention and stopped him just in time. And he turned to me, and he just looked at me, eyes wide, and said, Oh, my God, you saved my life. And we just stood there, and then he said, I'm going to buy you a big steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the train finished going by, and then he just kept walking, right? Like, he just kept air drumming. He went on with his life, and I, I went on with mine. But that sort of stuck with me, and it turned into a drowning situation later. And I, I, I looked at that situation from so many different sides and points of view. And I even tried to write it as a play at one point because I couldn't quite crack it. So it was while working on the Sacrificial Twin novel that I was actually rereading Austerlitz. By One Sebald. of my favorites, oh, yes. It's, oh, it's an incredible book. And I, so I read it in 2001, and this was probably around 2017. I was rereading Austerlitz, and I thought, maybe I need an extra uh, interlocutor, a narrator in between um, to, it, to, to make Jeff's story work for me. And it was a sort of intuitive thing. And as soon as I started down that path... Um, the book, everything clicked into place. Let me say that I have the enormous honor to have met mm. Sabolt, the author of Austerlitz. He was here, and then when he went home, very shortly thereafter, he was killed in a car accident. So I very possibly have the last interview that Sabolt ever gave. And he was a thrill and a pleasure to talk to because I didn't agree with what most people were saying about Austerlitz. In this sense, too, Antoine Wilson, my guest, who is the author of Mouth to Mouth, which is published by Avid Reader Press, I don't agree with what I've read about Mouth to Mouth. People are calling it a psychological thriller. And yes, it is thrilling, and it uses psychology, mm -hmm. but a psychological thriller seems to me to be something completely different and not something I would necessarily talk about on Bookworm. What do you think about being dubbed the writer of... A suspense novel, essentially. I was surprised. You know, I mean, my like many writers, I just like to make sure the next page is as uh, entertaining as the prior page. There's a lot of um, maybe destabilizing uh, in the book of identity and where, where people stand in terms of uh, the story and reliability. And then there's also the question of why Jeff is buttonholing the narrator in this lounge uh, telling a story that he says he's never told anybody before, right? And they're acquaintances from 
almost two decades earlier. So there are aspects of it that I think maybe are technically keeping people in suspense or um, and that have psychological components, but it doesn't hit any of the genre points. Uh, I don't even know what they are, I to don't tell either, you the truth. I'm pretty sure it doesn't hit them. <laughs> it is true that the book is not finished until its very last sentence. Absolutely true. It is true that like your earlier book, The Interloper, this book becomes a book about avenging a life, a death, the possibilities involved with saving a life or creating the circumstances of a death. As a result, it's a thrilling book. I do promise that you won't be able to stop reading it the psychologies in this novel are very complex. I would say that I needed a second reading to involve myself with the motion of psychology between these two major characters. Jeff Cook is the teller of a story. Yeah. An anonymous narrator listens to the story. The truth is that it is not until fairly late in the book that one can construe the story that Cook is telling as a confession. Yeah. But this notion of avenging a death is central to the interloper. Mm-hmm. And I think somehow central to your writing life. You've said that this is perhaps the result of your having a brother who died. Yeah. What do you say? Well, it, it's interesting because it, the progression of the, the books, The Interloper, was very completely uh, influenced by um, my uh, the murder of my older half-brother. And... Um, uh, sort of circumstances around that and, and ideas that I had about v- vengeance and justice and empathy, um, even. The question of whether you can really write someone off as a, as a total psychopath or whether there should be, a, a, whether there's, you know, a heart there. And that book was, uh, I, I did feel like that was a way for me to write about something that happened when I was a child but my older half-brothers were, were not children, and it was their middle brother. So I felt like an interloper, so to speak, you know, myself, writing about it at all. So it was, it was my way um, into that uh, world and into sort of processing that for some reason, uh, in some way. But, and then Panorama City was a complete step in the other direction, and I, and I felt was almost reflective of a version of myself that had never dealt with that kind of tragedy in in mouth to mouth, I, I I see the parallels, and there are um, there are things there, you know, having to do with those stakes of life and death, and playing God, essentially, or you know, determining whether you you would save or finish somebody's life. But um, it feel it feels like a very different book from from the Interloper uh, to me. Now, in your books, there are conversations about fate. Mm -hmm. 
Do you believe in fate? And what does this have to do yeah. with the books? Well, I don't believe in fate per se, um, but I believe in the experience of it, uh, which is when, you know, we look back at, uh, I guess what I call fate, maybe fate's forks, you know, those things that happen in our lives that determine the, the, the path that we end up taking. We create stories ab about our lives when we look back and we put those, those pieces together. For Jeff, saving a life determines the course of, you know, the rest of his life to, to a large degree. For me, um, the analog would be uh, out of college. Uh, I went to the job board at UCLA. I wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to be a novelist. I had taken no creative writing, didn't know anything. I went to the job board. There was a job that had the word books in it, <laughs> fine art and rare book appraiser. And I went and I, and I got this job in Beverly Hills. 95% of the work was fine art related. 5% um, was books. It had nothing to do with being a writer, right? But that's where I learned about the art world, which is um, at the center of Jeff's, Jeff's story. So in some ways, Jeff's initiation and entrance into the art world is a parallel of, of my experience. I'm Michael Silverblatt. You're listening to KCRW's Bookworm, and I'm talking with Antoine Wilson about his new book, Mouth to Mouth. We'll continue after this short break. I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you listen. I'm Michael Silverblatt. This is Bookworm, and I'm talking with Antoine Wilson about his new book, Mouth to Mouth. Now, I found this book so consistently engaging that I came to understand people saying that the book is dominated by two unreliable narrators, but I don't think that that's true. I think both of these narrators is telling his version of a profound truth and that the intersection of these truths forms the subject of this novel. Am I getting it sort of in the vicinity of your intention? Yes. I mean, every first-person narrator is unreliable, right? We can argue that uh, on a baseline. We are unreliable narrators of our own experience, right? We have the left-brain interpreter coming up with reasons for why we do the things we do. But I believe the the underlying narrator is sincere in his, you know, listening to, to Jeff and trying to figure out what Jeff's angle is and where Jeff's coming from. And I think Jeff is um, at least initially sincere in, in how he's delivering his story. We all create these stories about our own lives and leave things out and, and um, make, make different sense of our lives. But we're all... I don't know. No matter how sincere we are, we're always acting. Now, 
when I read Mouth to Mouth, you know, it's very hard for someone not to hear what people are saying, and everyone was saying, and some people who love the book were saying, unreliable narrator, unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. But I, I read it, and I didn't find that to be the case. Do you? No, I mean, I think I left uh, a lot of openings for the reader's experience, which is what I'm continuing to try to do in my writing. But so I accept people who would say, oh, he's a sociopath or he's an unreliable narrator. And that's that's great. That's not my experience. But I'm I'm the only person in the world who can't read this book as a reader. So I, I, I leave it up to to the readers. What the book turned out to me to be about is that anyone can save a life and anyone can destroy a life that anyone can be a salvation dispenser, and it's possible for anyone to be a murderer. In our case, the saver of a life goes into the life of the man he saved. Mm -hmm. The man is a famous art dealer and curator. Money is at the center of all his dealings, but he has, as they continually call it, an eye. And he says, I don't call it an eye, I call it bravery. And he says that he can make a work of art out of anything or destroy a work of art in a single dismissal. Your dealer is the father of the woman that Jeff Cook will marry. So on every level, the book constructs possibilities and terms of ferocity that either are pursued or dropped. And that's what the listener, our listener who is unnamed, has to decide. But he's going to decide it after the last page of the book. Mm -hmm. We're not going to know the result of the story, we are going to know every bit of truth about it that our guest, the novelist Antoine Wilson, can construct, interpolate, invent, aim. It's a very exciting book for that reason. You are never secure until the book's very end, and you never want to stop reading. You need the next page to see not what will happen next, but in fact, what are we experiencing here? Ah, yes. And that's uh, that's kind of amazing. That's what I maybe enjoy most in reading, is that question, uh, going from page to page in a book and wondering what I'm experiencing. Yeah, so... That's you've just paid me the highest possible compliment, Michael. That's my honor. I, I, you know, I I like being what people call their dream reader, and that is not you know accidental because I love to read. It's at the center of my life. But tell, give me an example of a book that you were made uncertain in from page to page as a reader. I tend to go down various authorial, you know, binges 
I went on a Patrick Modiano binge for a while, as did many people I know. And I think the most recent binge I've been on is Javier Marias. Two wonderful writers. Modiano won the Nobel Prize, and most Americans had not heard of him before. Now, somewhere between 12 and 15 books have been translated. He's a French writer, and he's wonderful. Javier Marias is an absolutely extraordinary writer. I think you're putting yourself in very good company, and if I might say so, I think it's company you've earned. Hmm. Thank you. And I want to suggest that in your book, Mouth to Mouth, you create the potential for a society of readers and that the multiple possibilities are generators of conversation. That once upon a time when I was a boy, and may I confess that I'm about to turn 70 in August, when I was a boy, people talked about books all the time, all the time. That's what my life as a reader depended upon, my teachers and what you could call the society of readers. And I would say that my guest, Antoine Wilson, has written a novel, Mouth to Mouth, that is likely to create a society of readers and discussions and alert to the possibilities of narration. And I personally think that that was your goal. Well, I'm always thinking about the possibilities of narration. That's, that's a huge interest of mine that I yeah, try to embody in the, in the books. We're lucky here in Los Angeles, where the show was based, to have Antoine Wilson. He lives here, but I have to confess... I haven't seen him for eight years since his last novel, Panorama City. I'm thrilled that you exist here. Um, I read that you're still a surfer, and this book begins with the rescue of what might have once been a surfing accident. And I want to thank you and welcome you to our precincts. Um, I'm really glad that you're here in L.A. as well. Thank you. I want to tell my listeners that due to the pandemic, we're taping at my home, vaccinated and boosted. I'm talking with Antoine Wilson, the author most recently of Mouth to Mouth, published by Avid Reader Press, a division of Simon & Schuster. Thank you very much, Antoine, for joining me. Uh, thank you, Michael. It's been a delight, and I'll, I'll try to write more quickly next time and <laughs> maybe maybe we can see each other sooner. That would be great. You can visit kcrw.com slash bookworm for a podcast of today's show. It's also available at all podcast services and on demand with KCRW smartphone apps. Bookworm has become global. It's a real honor. If you haven't already, please become a KCRW member, because this kind of show does not exist anywhere else. Special thanks to my Bookworm Show collaborators, Alan Howard and Sean Sullivan. Without them, I promise you, this show couldn't happen. I love our engineer, PJ Shahamet. I'm Michael Silverblatt. 
Join me again next time on Bookworm. A bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm, we are all bookworms. Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW Santa Monica. You can access archives of all Bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones, at kcrw.com bookworm. The Bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you listen.